We're going to pick up where we've left off in the book of Romans, and we're going to be spending time today in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift that it is to gather in your name, to gather with expectant hearts that you would speak to us, that you would meet us. We pray that you would help us to understand your mind, your heart, your word. Holy Spirit, we pray you would glorify Jesus in this, in this time together. Help us to see him to know Jesus, to encounter Jesus in a fresh and living way. And we thank you, Father, that we, uh, Lord, uh, when we meet you, we meet you in the fullness of your grace and your mercy. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. How many of you have ever heard of the author Jane Austen? Could you, uh, if you have, raise your hand. Um, First time I encountered Jane Austen was in college. Um, it was a required English course. Um, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the course. I went to Brooklyn College. Uh, we, they, they call it the poor man's Harvard. Um, and that class, it was, we, we had this, they were famous, Brooklyn College was famous for its core curriculum. It didn't matter what you went there to study, you had to go through this core curriculum that was extensive. Um, they had like four two-credit science classes. You know how cruel that is? With lab. Um, uh, just unbelievably cruel. Um, Jane Austen, if you've never read any of her books, uh, I, let me prepare you and warn you. She writes incredibly slow. In, like, it, my gosh. Like, you'll read a chapter... And you'll be going through pages, 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 pages. And at the end of that chapter, you'll, you'll, you can summarize everything you read and say, oh, this chapter was about when she turned her head left. Like, literally, it's just like, why so many words? It took so long to describe. It was painstakingly slow. Um, but I ain't going to lie, toward the end of it, I really got hooked. I was like, Emma, Emma's my book, and I really loved it. I was like, Jane, you did it, you did it. But that class, um, it was a professor that I absolutely loved. His name was Professor Cunningham. And uh, we used to have phenomenal conversations about Jesus. Um, and he actually uh, told me, I'll never forget, he said, uh, I'm going to have to stop talking to you, Chris, because every time we talk, you remind me of the God-sized hole that's in my soul. Um, and so that was an invitation. I was like, I'm going to talk even more. And, and so um, he, there was this assignment that I'll never forget. It was my first semester in college. And uh, in this class, the assignment was to write a 300-word essay 
about Emma. You know how hard that was? Because it's a big book. It's not a small book. And again, it's a painfully slow book. And that assignment, it took so much focus. It took, so, it took a long time to be succinct and to whittle down this big book that was painstakingly slow into a 300-word essay, one page. Try later on today or this week, try to write a 300-word essay and see it's, it's not that easy um, to be succinct in that way. Um, I, I, I mentioned that. I start there because if you and I could wrap our minds around what Romans 8, chapter, one, chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, this is the most glorious, succinct, yet fully expansive definition, understanding of the gospel that we could find in all of Scripture when we read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If someone came up to you later today and say, hey, could you give me a summary of the Bible? Uh, could you whittle it down to a phrase? Or specifically, hey, can you help me understand the message of Romans? In this big book that we've been working through, uh, we've, we've studied up until this point, seven chapters. And as you can attest, each chapter is very dense. It's very chewy. There's a lot of stuff in each chapter. And everything from the beginning up until now can be summed up in that one powerful phrase. What God has been up to, all his work, all his intention has been leading up to this phrase. Jesus came to make this reality our reality, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're looking for a moment to say amen, you just missed it. And so like, if you're looking for a moment that was like, man, what's the message about? I came here for a word from God. You just got it. You and I have just received the greatest news that God could possibly deliver to us. And that is that what Jesus has done for us has resulted in you and I being free from condemnation. We will not be condemned by God. What Jesus has accomplished has set us free from the possibility of condemnation, of judgment. You know, one of the most aching fears that, that exists in the human soul from time, from the beginning of time to now, especially in, in civilizations, if you study history, throughout history, there's been this aching fear of where do we stand with the gods? Where do we stand with the powerful deities that are at work? And that's driven uh, civilizations towards sacrifice and rituals, all because they wanted to have a sense of, of assurance of where do we stand. And we want to be in a good standing with God. And Jesus has come to say, I want to make it perfectly clear. If you want to know where you stand with me, if you want to know where our relationship is at, let me tell you this really good news. I've come that there might be no condemnation for you. Yes, thank you. Amen. 
It can, it does not get better than that. Jesus has accomplished something extraordinary for us. Notice in this phrase, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the only prerequisite, the only requirement for us to not experience condemnation is that we would be in Christ Jesus. That's it. It didn't say there's therefore now no condemnation for those with perfect church attendance. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for that? It didn't say there's therefore now no condemnation for those who know the Bible inside and out and memorize scripture. Uh, you're like, man, I know scripture so much that if you cut me, I bleed verses. It didn't say that about us. It didn't say that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are the most prayerful among us, who, who wake up at four in the morning and pray every day and, and fast regularly. It, it does not have any prerequisites of that sort. The only condition is that we would be in Christ Jesus. And Jesus has made it possible for us to be found in him. There's a therefore now no condemnation. Where do you stand with God? Where's your relationship with God? Where, where is it at? What ground is it on? If you're in Christ Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation. Amazing. If you came in today feeling discouraged, if you came in today feeling like, man, my, my Christianity, my walk with God is wanting, it's lacking, I feel deficient, the good news is there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. God does not condemn us. If you want to know how he feels about us, his heart toward us is that we would experience no condemnation. Another way of thinking about it is God's posture toward us is always toward embrace. What, God, what do you want to do? How do you want to relate to me? His response is, I just always want to embrace you. I always want you near. I always want you. That's all I want. His posture is not to reject and to push us away. His posture is to receive us to himself. There's therefore now no condemnation. Thus far in Romans, we've learned some tremendous things. We've learned that a moral person, a good person, an obedient person to God's law has no advantage over the disobedient. That because of what Jesus has done, he has created an even footing. Uh, as it says, the, the foot of the cross, it's even. We all stand on the same ground before the cross of Jesus. And so whether you're moral, whether you're uh, like an abiding person by the commandments of God or not, Jesus has made it so that you and I could stand before him on the same ground, by grace. Thus far, we've learned, as we've been studying Romans, is that even though humanity is actively forgetting God and replacing him with idols, that the living God chooses to pursue us in grace. We've learned that Jesus has justified us, that he's declared us righteous. He's credited to us his 
perfect record of obedience. Like, like you and I, spiritually speaking, have jacked up credit scores. Like we're, we're not good investment. We're, we're, we will default, spiritually speaking. Um, like no, God should not loan us anything because we will default. And yet, what has he done? He's credited to us his righteousness. You and I are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, can someone help me preach today? Like, it, it, I'm trying not to overwhelm you, but, but you got to work with me here. This is too good for us to just, hmm. I mentally assent to that. Hmm. Lord, it, Jesus has credited to us his righteousness, and he's done this by, by faith. That's our access, not moralism, not good behavior. It's not for the good behaving people. It's for all of us. This is what he has accomplished. And though we're justified and set free from sin, we've also learned that sin still dwells in our members, in our body. And so you and I, though we're free from sin and we're declared righteous, we still very much have the capacity to sin. How many this week experienced that reality, right? And so if you're doubtful of the, of the veracity of the scriptures, that's a doctrine that's very easy to explain. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, yeah I, I have a great capacity to sin. And so Jesus has done this amazing thing in that even though we have the capacity to sin, he says there's no condemnation. If you and I never sin, then we don't need that good news. We don't need to hear, there's therefore now no condemnation. You're like, say that to the guilty, not me. But if we have the capacity to sin, which we do, and we so often do, the good news for us, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're like me, this is hard to get through because every time I say it, there's like this deep religious part of me that says, but, you know, but you should, you still should. There's a, there's a part of me that's still trying to earn, that's still trying to deserve, that's still trying to achieve. Actually, that part is in all of us. That's our default status of our hearts. We're all trying to earn our place at God's table. And God has said, you are welcome at my table, free of charge. You couldn't earn this. It's a gift. Come. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's such good news for our souls. You can walk out of here today with your shoulders back, your head high, and you can walk out of here with the reality in your heart that says, God has declared me free from any condemnation. The one who has the power to condemn says, I will not condemn you. 
But God, I sinned. No condemnation. But God, you, you see what I think about and what I'm tempted with? No condemnation. But God, that thing from my past has come up? No condemnation. God, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get this right. That's fine. That's great. I want that for you. But there's no condemnation. You don't earn this. You don't deserve this. It's declared over us. No condemnation. That's the gospel. That's the sum of what Jesus has come to do for all of us, for all of humanity, to help us to experience the state of not being condemned. People like you and I who rightly deserve to be condemned. God says there's no condemnation. Glory to God. Though we've learned that we can't save ourselves, that Jesus alone saves us, that we don't achieve salvation, we receive salvation, Romans 7 raised an interesting issue for us. All right, if Jesus, is, if Jesus alone saves us, what about our sanctification? Now, sanctification, I'm going to give you a real good SAT word. Like, this, this word's go impress people, you know? Like, you're hanging out, it's like, oh, sanctified, you know? Like, just, just drop it, you know, in regular conversation. It's a phenomenal word. It, sanctified, sanctification, it's this biblical concept that describes God's intention over the journey of our life as we walk with him to make us look more and more like Jesus. You know, when they asked um, the great artist Michelangelo when he, uh, how he created the David, you got to imagine and realize that when that artwork started, it started in this, with this big slab of marble, like a big like square rock in front of him. And his response was interesting. He said, when I asked him, how'd you do this? He said, I chipped away and didn't stop chipping away anything that didn't look like David. Every time he, he kept doing that, he, he, he was like removing anything in his mind that didn't look like David until David was there. You realize that God when he looks at you and I, his goal, his intention for the rest of our life, he's going to chip away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. That's sanctification. And that is a lifelong journey. It was funny. This morning, we were in the car. I was driving my kids. They came with me to the first service. And um, Alexa and Luke, they were talking. And something came up. And Alexa said, hey, I'm a work in progress. And so I was tired. I'm driving. I was just like, yeah, I'm glad she knows that. You know, like, I'm a work in progress. Uh, you and I, the progress that God has for our life, it's a, it's a progression. It gets more and more over the years with each passing day is that he is chipping away anything that doesn't look like Jesus in our emotional life, in our decisions in our thought life, in, in, in our actions, in our priorities, anything that doesn't look like Jesus, he's going to chip away until we look more and more like Jesus. But what we learn in Romans 7 is that there is a true struggle inside of us, that we have these two natures that are at war, and those two natures, 
one of them is always gravitating towards sin. It's all it wants. It has an insatiable appetite. It will never have enough. It will always crave more and more disobedience and dishonor to God and, and just brokenness. It's always what it wants to feed on. And then there's this other nature that we have because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that all that nature wants to do is to please God, to love God, to worship God, to obey God. What we read in Romans 8 is very interesting with that thought in mind of this, of this struggle because look at what verse 2 and onwards say. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God's plan for our sanctification is that the Holy Spirit would come to our rescue. That's his plan. So I want to make you look more and more like my son, and his plan is, I am going to cause my spirit to live inside of you. And through his abiding presence and empowerment, we're told that now we can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Prior to the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us, we're told that the law was weakened by sinful flesh. That the weakness of, of our attempts to try to obey God was that we have sin dwelling in, inside of us. And when God's commandment reached our hearts, sin would fight it and resist it. And often we would find ourselves tripping into sin. What was God's solution? He gives us his spirit who lives inside of us in order that we could be empowered to make that leap of obedience. A leap, a jump that you and I could not do on our own. This is God's plan for our sanctification. Did you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? How amazing is that? That the living God took residence inside of us. I wouldn't recommend you doing this, but you could show up to work legitimately and be biblically accurate and say, God's here. I wouldn't recommend it. Security might come. You might, you might get called into HR. They might be concerned. But legitimately, where you walk, where you go, if the Spirit of God lives inside of you, he goes with you. You are a walking temple of the living God. And by virtue of him taking residence inside of us, we're told that he empowers us to obey. You and I can't obey on our own. It's proven. We know that. We, can, we might be able to obey every once in a while, but not consistently for all times and all circumstances. We will hit those moments where we will come to our end and we'll realize Within myself, I don't have the capacity to obey God. And God comes to the rescue 
and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and through him we're empowered to obey. That's good news for us if you find yourself in a relational stalemate and, and just there's a tension and struggle and you don't know how to overcome it. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps you overcome if there's a temptation and a struggle that you keep being beset by and it keeps coming in and you, and you keep tripping over it and you want to overcome it, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to overcome those temptations. Whatever that leap of obedience that God calls us to take, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to take that leap. This is God's plan for us. I love the phrase that's, that's right there in verse 3. It says, for God has done. Could you say that phrase with me? For God has done. You know what religion tends to focus on? It tends to focus on what you and I should do, what you and I must do. Religion puts the weight of the relationship with the divine on our shoulders, it, you, you could, like, take every religion and essentially they all fit into this one category in that every religion is essentially trying to tell us, if you and I do X, God owes us Y. If you obey, he owes you blessings, he owes you heaven, he owes us, God becomes our debtor. And it focuses on what you and I have to do. The Christian faith is distinct and unique in that it focuses on what God has done. The heavy lifting that he has done. What you and I could not do on our own. What God has done for us. You realize if God does nothing else for you, if he doesn't answer that prayer, if you don't get that raise, if you don't get that house in Florida, if you don't get the car, if you don't get that trip, he has done Enough, more than enough. If, you, if you're doubtful if God loves you and his intentions for you, all you have to do is look at what he's done. People, you don't know where we stand sometimes with each other. You, 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 know, you don't know, like, are you with me? Are you for me? And what do we do? We, we search for evidence and try to understand and say, well, based on these actions, I can say you're for me or you're not. The action of God, what he has done, unequivocally declares, I'm for you. There's no condemnation based on what he has done. If you're ever doubtful how God feels about you, look at the cross. If you're ever doubtful, does this God love me? Look at the resurrection. If you're ever doubtful, is he with me? Look at all he has done in order to initiate this incredible rescue. It's a, it's a, a terrible comparison. It breaks down. But literally, if you and I, if somebody had the power to reduce you, glorious you, amazing you, work of art you, one-of-a-kind you, and reduce you to a roach. What a loss that would be. This complex, beautiful person that you are reduced to a roach. It pales in comparison to think of the living God becoming fully human. 
how he lowered himself, humbled himself, lived among us. What a God. And he did that for us. To declare his love for us. To rid from our minds any suspicion, any doubt, any haziness. And to say very clearly, I'm for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has done this. God has acted. And because he's done this, because of what he's done, you and I are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to become obedient sons and daughters. That's God's plan for us, that you and I would continue to grow as sons and daughters that would grow in Christ-likeness and would increasingly have more, have more of the fruit of obedience born in our lives. And who does that? Romans 8 tells us it's the Holy Spirit. But how does he do that? How does he do that? It's, we're told that the way we experience this freedom is that we begin to learn what it is to walk according to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit. God's plan for us is that we would grow in this obedience that the Holy Spirit empowers by you and I learning how to walk according to the Spirit. He teaches us how to walk the path of obedience. That's the Holy Spirit's preoccupation in our life is on a daily basis teaching us to walk the way he walks. Teaching us to walk as Jesus walked. To follow the obedient life that Jesus lived. We're empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our walking trainer. He trains us how to walk the way Jesus walked in obedience to the Father's voice. What a teacher we have. The master teacher, none better. The only one who could actually teach us to do this is our teacher. The same spirit that lived on Jesus, lived inside of him, empowered him, lives inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to live the way he did lives inside of us, empowers us to live as Jesus lived. And how does he do that? He teaches us how to walk like him. But the first step in this long journey, there's, a, there's an author, Eugene Peterson, that described the Christian faith as a long obedience in the same direction. It's long, this journey. And it's one step at a time, one step after another. But the first step in this walk of the Spirit is actually found in verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit 
set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In the original language, that word, set your mind, our English translation doesn't do the intensity of the word justice because what what it literally means is what you obsess over. What you're constant, what like you're obsessing over it. Have you ever obsessed over something? Just me, right? None of you. None of you are obsessive. If, if you, one of the worst things I, I hate it is when I lose my wallet. Oh man, I become a different person. Where like literally, I'm just like, I gotta find it, and I'm just tossing stuff and like the family knows get out of his way you know just like I look at the kids I'll shake them down like you got it you know like it I'm I'm just I can't stop and so literally my wife at times has has had to tell me go outside I will find it I'm like no but I must find it like and I'll think about it I'll obsess over I'll I'll go to a meeting like over zoom if I'm working from home and if I don't know where it's at I'm thinking about it the whole meeting I'm just like Oh, what's on your mind, Chris? My wallet. I don't know where it is. I got to find it. Where is it? It's, it's not safe without me. It needs me. I'm its protector. Like, where's my wallet? Have you ever obsessed over something? Where it's the first thought when you wake up. It's the last thought before you go to bed. And it's what your mind gravitates toward throughout the day. I had a friend where he began to work for the NYPD, I think he was like 20, very young. And so he was able to retire very early. And literally every single day that he would get up and go to work, his motivation was, I'm gonna buy a house in Florida. I got so sick of hearing about Florida because it didn't matter what the conversation was. It was like, hey, man, how's your day? What'd you have for lunch? Oh, I had this burger. They got better burgers in Florida. Like every conversation went to Florida. Like it, it, we would be having great weather in New York. It was like, it's better, better weather in Florida. And so like we would be at a nice house in Long Island per se, like property, like, you know, like stuff that we dream about in the, in the boroughs, you know, like, oh, this is, this is what an acre feels like. And it was like, got better houses in Florida. It was, oh, and then he moved to Texas. And so it just, this, but he obsessed, 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 obsessed. The way you and I walk in the spirit, the first step in that walk is that God changes the obsession of our hearts. He says, I become your obsession. You set your being on me, your heart on me, your mind on me, and that empowers you to live according to the spirit. One of the wonders that God wants to work in your life and mine is that he transforms the obsession of our soul. God's plan is for you and I to become obsessed with him. I know that word has negative connotations. Like, you know, you meet people and like, ah, they're too obsessive over Jesus. If you meet someone and they're obsessive over Jesus, like rubs you the wrong way, 
you've met someone who's obsessing in the wrong way. Because to really have obsession over Jesus, to like be just driven for him and want him, that is the most beautiful quality a human being could ever have. You, when you meet someone that truly obsesses over Jesus, you have met a person who has the true north of life. The GPS of their heart is set on the right coordinate. Their life is ever bending toward God. To obsess over Jesus, over Christ, is the first step in this walk of the Spirit. The empowerment that the Holy Spirit brings in our life to help us to be obedient, the first step in that that empowered journey is that God changes the obsession of our hearts. Think for a moment. What are you currently obsessed with? It could be a show. It could be a particular restaurant. It could be a destination. You you know what people are obsessed with. You just give them time. They'll let you know. They'll let you know. We can't help it. We, like, overflow with whatever we're obsessed with. The capacity of a human being to obsess over things is amazing. The things that we will, the lengths we'll go to when we're obsessed over something. Do you remember back in the day when in order to get an iPhone, like be one of the first ones, you had to wait online? And there were people that would camp out for days. What are you doing this week? Getting my phone. That's it? Yup. And just waiting day and night and cold weather, it didn't matter. Obsessed. Imagine if God would be our obsession that way. Where we would be so, our hearts would be so oriented toward him that each step we take would be governed and informed by the fact that our hearts are directed toward him. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Obedience is not this forced thing. Where each, is obedience costly? Yes. Is it difficult? Absolutely. Is there sacrifice in it? Yes. But God's plan is that he changes the obsession of our hearts to such a degree that each step of obedience is joyous. Because each step mirrors the obsession of our hearts. Each step is the overflow. Each step we take in this walk of the Spirit is a step that mirrors the obsession of our hearts. God wants to do this. This is his plan. And that first step is this glorious transformation of our hearts. I had a friend that told me that they actually studied this in uh, Laker Stadium where some of the greatest athletes have ever played 
um, that have put on a basketball uniform have been Lakers. Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, LeBron James. The, the list goes on and on and on. The Laker fans have a lot to cheer for. They've not had bad teams. Um, like on the aggregate, they've had incredible, a storied franchise. But do you know that they've studied that in that stadium, people will only cheer if they dim the lights to a certain degree because everybody is so self-conscious and image conscious that the celebrities, they won't give themselves over to the moment because they don't want to appear as like a starstruck fan. So they got to dim the lights. So could you imagine it, like you're watching Kobe Bryant play at his prime and you don't let yourself cheer you don't let yourself get in the moment because you're like, I got to appear cool. And, and they literally would have to dim the lights to a certain degree so that you would become less conscious of yourself. And now all of a sudden, people would get into the moment. God's plan for us, very much so, is that he wants to dim the lights in our hearts that we become less obsessed with ourselves, less conscious about ourselves, and more conscious of him. I don't know about you, but I am so sick and tired of obsessing over trivial things. Oh, it's so exhausting to just like spend mental energy over trivial things. Like I have these speeches with myself, it's like, oh, I'm so sick and tired of like always thinking about myself. It's exhausting. To always think about myself, to be selfish, to be self-centered, it's absolutely exhausting. Liberty comes when Jesus helps us to be obsessed with him, to focus on him, for him to be our delight. That's where true freedom is found. You will never be a non-obsessed person. You will always obsess over something. God's plan is that he would become our obsession, that we would be able to set our souls, our minds on him, and as a result, the Holy Spirit would empower us to obey and to take those steps. As I invite the worship team to come forward, could I ask if we could stand at this time as we come to our feet Can I invite us to just raise our hands, extend our hands out, open our palms in this posture of receiving from God, this posture of laying down what we're carrying before the living God. And right now in this moment, as we prepare to respond, could you and I, by faith, receive God's declaration over us he says, there's therefore now no condemnation. You're not condemned. You're free from condemnation. Hear Jesus declare that over you. You are not condemned. There's no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, 
all the guilt, all the shame lifted. Jesus has carried that for us. There is therefore now no condemnation. And right now, if you're in Christ, the benefit that he gives us, one of the many, is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He's dwelling inside of you right now, empowering you to walk with him, to obey, to live as Jesus, to be sanctified. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You make Christ-likeness possible. You make obedience possible. You empower us to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. You did what the law couldn't do because the law was weakened by our sinful flesh. But you have done it. You empower us to obey. And that first step of obedience is that you change the obsession of our hearts. Help us to obsess over you, Jesus. To revel over you. To delight in you. To fix our hearts on you. Day and night. Every waking moment, may the energy of our life be bent toward you. May the cravings of our heart find their satisfaction in you, Jesus. And if that's not where you're at right now, ask the living God, God, change the obsession of my soul. I want you to be my obsession. I want you to be my delight. I want you to be my reward in this life. The greatest treasure that I prize above all, may it be you, Jesus. Not my house, not my car, not my things. May it be you, Jesus, because you alone rightly deserve the affections of our heart. As we worship at this time, the prayer team is in the back, and they would love to pray with you about anything you need prayer for, anything, the words that were shared earlier, anything the message might have provoked in you. As we worship at this time, feel free to slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer in these next few moments. Let's worship together as we respond to God.